So, hey, I want to point something out to you real quick. You got to see the hearts up on the screen, all right? And uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Jake for a long time, really since he was a teenager. And to see him on the other side of the field is just a really neat thing. Uh, you know, we, Mike asked him about their kids, and they kind of let you into that a little bit, but I want to unpack that a little bit more. I want you to catch something, and it'll give you a little bit more detail of a way you can pray for them. Their kids are younger, and I've spent, I don't know, over two months in Kathmandu where they're at. There are idols everywhere, and they don't look like Mickey Mouse. They got snakes coming out their head. I mean, it's, it's craziness. They're going to walk down the street, and they're going to see people worshiping those idols, um, they're going to walk down the street, and 10 feet from them, they're going to be burning a body. They're kids. It would be shocking for you. You would come back, and you would talk about how dark it is, and how oppressive it is, and you would be right. And they're little kids going through that. So when they say there's fears and anxiety, and they're having bad dreams, and others, just understand what they're going through. And if I talk to you about this for the rest of the morning, I would have your attention easily. Because when we talk about the end, and Scripture says the end is better than the beginning, right? When we talk about the end, especially the end of something like sending disciples, it is captivating to think of someone so far from our day-to-day -day on the other side of the world living in a completely different circumstance. That's, that, that, that's kind of engaging to us. But when you listen to them who are living in it, and both of them have been in that culture for over a year. Um, Holly spent two years there as a journeyman. Jake spent a year there. When you listen to them, it sounds kind of every day, doesn't it? I've been sick. I got pneumonia. had bronchitis. I'm trying to figure out how to buy groceries in a different lane. I mean, I got to go to school. It's just everyday life. And having worked with missionaries, sent disciples all around the world, it feels just like everyday life. They feel like they are a disciple trying to make disciples to their neighbors in the same way that you or I do. After a while, the new wears off and it's just life on mission. But it's captivating for us to talk about that. But there's some really important pieces, some foundational pieces about how we go from where we're at to living missionally like that that I want to remind us of this week. Pieces that I just kind of want to flip over like, the, like a puzzle that over the course of this week will kind of come together to create a picture. You know, no one invites you over to their house and says, hey, come downstairs, let me show you the foundation, right? I'm going to be that guy, all right? So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that, but I want you to stay with me because it's incredibly important. See, generally speaking, we don't like to face reality, especially when that reality is hard. We are a therapeutic culture. We would much rather be encouraged for the few things that we think are good than to be challenged in our weakness. And so we see that play out in all kinds of ways, and we see that play out especially with those we love. If I ask you in this room, we would all want the best for our spouse. We would all want the best for our kids or our grandkids or our friends. We would say, I want the best for them. But we avoid hard conversations around what actually might be best. And if someone brings it up, if someone dare say, I don't know if that's really the best method of parenting, or 
we are immediately offended. I, I am, you are, it's what we do in our sin, it's okay. But just admit it, we're, we're offended because we avoid the reality that often we claim one thing and do another. That our stated values don't always match our practice values. We avoid our incompatible worldviews. And we avoid the discussions that expose them and challenge us in them. And so today as we talk about sending disciples, I want to bring us back to a foundational reality. You, disciple, you, Jesus follower, are the evangelistic strategy of the church. You are the evangelistic strategy of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. It's not a program, it's not the organization, it is you, the disciple, who has been commissioned to make disciples. That's our big truth this morning, that disciples are called to make disciples. We see that laid throughout the New Testament. My favorite place to see that is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, we have been reconciled in Christ Jesus and given the ministry of reconciliation. We are now his ambassadors. It is our responsibility to make him known. Jesus lays this out for us in those great commission passages. And if we are disciples who are called to make disciples, then we are also called to equip and send disciples. It is the very reality of our brotherhood as we are called and commissioned to build one another up for the work of ministry. That's our big idea this morning that we're going to unpack that implication that disciples are called to equip and send disciples to make disciples. If as a disciple you are called and commissioned and set apart to make a disciple, the collection of us and our gifts has been given to equip you to that work. That's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The work of ministry belongs to every authentic Jesus follower, every disciple has been given the work to make disciples. And that means when we come together in fellowship, when we gather, it is part of our work to equip one another and send one another out. It's what fellowship looks like. It's why in our life groups we hold up. How are you advancing the Great Commission? Because it's true fellowship. And so you begin to see all this play out and we realize just like the family discipleship plan that we talk about so much, we realize that these things begin in our homes. From the very beginning in the first five books when Moses reveals who God is and writes that out and challenges them to teach these things in their homes, all the way through to the New Testament, even to the qualifications of an elder and a pastor, I don't get to say to my wife, I'm sorry, the home is your responsibility. God has given me this ministry, all these people at Tri-Cities that I'm to care for, that's yours. No, I first must manage and disciple my own home. So our ministries will grow, but they never supersede our home. And so the question 
And the question I want you to wrestle with this week is your house a sending house? Is your house a sending house? See, if Tri-Cities Baptist Church is going to faithfully send disciples to the nations tomorrow, it will be because we faithfully send disciples to our neighbors today. See, if Tri-Cities Baptist Church is a faithful sending church, it is because our houses are sending houses. Because we are a family. We are a gathering of disciples. We're not an organization. We're not a business. So the faithfulness of us being a sending church rests on us being sending disciples. And we will see that in our home is your house a sending house. Are you a sending spouse? Are you a sending husband, a sending wife? Are you a sending parent, grandparent, sibling, friend? See, listen, church, if our answer to that question is no, we're not a faithful sending church. You understand? Is your house a sending house? At Tri-Cities Baptist Church, we long to send disciples from our houses through our church to our neighbors and the nations. That is our goal. And I want to take the next few minutes and I want to give you a biblical example of a disciple sent from his house through the church to his neighbors and the nations. Scripture gives us all kinds of amazing teaching. Some things are prescriptive, thou shalt. Uh, some things are just core doctrines. And other times, Scripture gives us descriptive examples, illustrations of things that really can be so impactful for us. And I want you to see one of those. I want you to see an example of a sent disciple named Timothy. Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick up midway through verse 1. A disciple was there. All right, check this. He's there. He's present. He's already been a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. That's important. This was a ready disciple. He is maturing. He is taking leadership, and he is well spoken of. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, do you see that? Timothy, a disciple raised up, ready, well spoken of, has now left his hometown and is on mission sent through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. A few things about Timothy, okay? Just let's talk a minute about Timothy. Timothy is arguably the second most influential believer in the New Testament. We don't talk about him a lot, but his role is massive. He co-authored six New Testament epistles. You'll find him in the first verse of 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. He co-authors all of them. 
in Romans, the book we just studied at a church. He's not there, it seems like, in the beginning, but he shows up at the end and sends his greetings with Paul. He's also mentioned in Acts and mentioned in Hebrews, and he has two letters in Scripture directly written to him in First and Second Timothy. Huge, influential disciple. Timothy was a disciple and a co-laborer unlike any Paul knew. Those aren't my words, that's what Paul says in Philippians 2.20. Timothy was a disciple maker. He was also a sent disciple. He was a disciple maker and he was also a sent disciple. Let me give you some context to how he was sent. Paul is on his first missionary journey and he is proclaiming the gospel in Antioch, in Iconium, in Derby, and it is hard. He's being persecuted, it's tough. And at the end of chapter 13, he kind of dusts off his feet and he begins to kind of continue in this journey until he's threatened in chapter 14, verse 6 in Acts. He's threatened and he flees, continuing to preach the gospel in verse 7. And verse 8 begins, now in Lystra. So he's got to this new town, he's continuing to preach the gospel, and in Lystra he heals a crippled man who'd been crippled since birth, and that draws attention in a small town. And so there's this chaos about who is Paul and who is Barnabas and who are these guys, and while all this is happening, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they convinced everyone there that Paul is evil. And the mob turns on Paul, and they stone him. Thinking he's dead, they drag his body through the streets and dump him outside of the city, thinking they're leaving him for dead. The disciples who were there gather around him. They realize he's not dead. They help him get back on his feet, and Paul returns to preaching the gospel and goes back to Derby. A little while later, he will return to Lystra, the very place he is stoned and left for dead, and he encourages the disciples there to persevere. After that, he goes back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 to give an update on what is happening among the Gentiles, how the gospel is going to the Gentiles. After the update and after some time there, in verse 36, Paul says, let's go see how they are. And that's the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Let's go back to these churches, back to these disciples, back to the very places we were persecuted that were hard, and let's check on the disciples. And that's the context for the passage I just read to you earlier. Except I didn't read the first part of verse 1. I want to go back. Acts 16, verse 1, Paul came also in this second missionary journey to Derby and Lystra. And a disciple was there. That's Timothy's hometown. See, if you don't understand what's happening, Paul explains it in 2 Timothy 3.10. He says, you, however, talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Listen, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. See, it was not long ago before Timothy says, yeah, Paul, I'll go with you, that Paul was stoned 
and left for dead. And I don't know if Timothy was one of the disciples who was there, who got to help Paul get back on his feet. I don't know. I don't know if Timothy and his mom and his grandmother got to watch Paul being drugged down their street. I don't know. But I know this. In that setting, Timothy experienced it. It wasn't some distant thing. It was in his town. He was a disciple. He was there. And he watches Paul get stoned for proclaiming the gospel. And on the heels of that, as Paul comes back the next time, he looks to Timothy and to his mom and his grandmother and his family and says, I want him to go with me. Timothy's decision is not impulsive. It wasn't quick. He was a disciple in a home that sent disciples. Before apostles laid hands on him and fanned the flames of his calling as a pastor, his grandmother and mother ignited a spark. That's Paul's conclusions. Straight from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, because this faith that dwells in you that was ignited first in your house, I remind you to fan the flame. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, Timothy was sent from his home, from his grandmother and his mother, through the church, the laying on the hands of the apostles and the leaders of the church, to his neighbors and the nations. Timothy is an example of one who was sent from his home, through the church, to his neighbors in the nations and so quickly a few observations and they're going to be quick okay and then we're going to have a panel come up and we're going to talk about some practical applications but stay with me for just a moment first timothy was raised not released from childhood timothy is raised to be a disciple who is sent he is not released to his natural desires in other words Timothy was aimed by the believers around him. That wouldn't matter if that's your spouse. That wouldn't matter if that's your kids or your grandkids. The reality is, is we are to aim one another into being disciples who make disciples. Timothy was raised, not released. Second, Timothy was coached, not coddled. Timothy was pushed. You know, the first thing that Timothy has to do when Paul says, come with me, is get circumcised. Well, Timothy's late teenager, probably, something like that. I'm just telling you, Timothy's not sitting there going, you know what I really want to do today? Promise, that's not what's happening. And Timothy doesn't even have to, by law or any part of the ministry, do this thing. He lays down his freedom for the advancement of the gospel. Because Timothy was led and discipled and coached to make disciples. He was not led toward comfort. He wasn't coddled. 
When Paul's dead body gets drugged down the street, Timothy isn't ushered back into the house. Do you see what I'm saying? Timothy is coached. He is sent. Timothy was sent, not spared. He was sent, not spared. Timothy was launched out like an arrow. We reference this verse all the time with our kids in Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. See, the warrior's arrow is purposed to be launched at the enemy. Not protected, not kept, but launched at the enemy. You want to know what's best for your spouse, for your children, for your grandchildren? The Bible says what's best is that they are a disciple who makes disciples. Are you sending them? Is your house a sending house? Are you a sending spouse? Are you a sending father? Are you a sending parent? Are you a sending grandparent? Are you a sending friend? Again, church, if our answers to these questions are no, we are not a faithful sending church. I long to be more faithful as a sending husband, as a sending father, as a sending pastor. And so my prayer models that of Joshua. You remember Joshua at the end of his life? He says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have that hanging in your houses. You know that verse by memory. Let me unpack that into a New Testament context for you. Is your house a sending house? Is your prayer, as for me and my house, we will be a sending house. From your house, through the church, to our neighbors and the nations, we send disciples. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy to be, pra- uh, to be praised and worshiped. Lord, stir up in us a conviction to grow, to just grow, to be more faithful tomorrow than we are today through the power of your Holy Spirit and your grace, that we would be more faithful in sending disciples from our houses, through our church, to our neighbors and nations. Father, give us the hunger to teach the gospel in our houses. And Father, give us the boldness and the faithfulness to model what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. And may we be reminded as we talk about sending disciples, Father, may your spirit remind us that we are your ambassadors, that we are your disciples who are called and set apart to make disciples and therefore send disciples. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the panel to come on up.
We're going to talk a little bit and uh, go from there after this short video. A few minutes. We're going to try to take what Pastor Daniel has really challenged us with. And I hope that's a little bit of a paradigm shift, even in your thinking this morning, that that question, not just, okay, is our church ascending church? Back up. Is my family ascending family? Is my home ascending family? Am I ascending dad, mom, grandparent? Great challenge, man. Thank you for that. So now let's take that and let's try to make that really practical and get some handles and really dig down into that. What does that practically look like? So and some of our elders up here, you know, all these guys, Pastor Paul, just come to you, and Pastor Jeff, start this way. What would you say then are broad characteristics? Say, man, that's ascending family. What does that look like? Give us some broad characteristics. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I'll take a second to make a plug. You mentioned the Aim the Family Forum is this Wednesday night, and really this question you're asking is what we're going to be taking on. So I just want to encourage you, for everyone in the room, wherever you are, as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt and uncle, this Wednesday night, we're going to try to press in this really practically, and uh, we've got a special guest we're going to be interviewing, Jennifer Thurman, who is our editor and writer for the Family Discipleship Plan, but her family's also church planners, and so we're going to be pressing into these things further, so I encourage you to come back and be a part of that. Uh, but what are some characteristics, um, uh, three that I would just mention really quickly, one is a love but specifically love for the gospel. Uh, and so 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I've given you what is of first importance, that Jesus died, was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. So if you want to be ascending family, the gospel and a love for the gospel has to permeate your heart and your decision-making, every single aspect of your life. So all of life are gospel issues. Every decision is a gospel issue. Um, from, you know, where we go to school and all those kinds of things. And so if, if we as parents, leaders, grandparents, if we're not loving the gospel, if it's not applying to every way of our lives, we're probably not going to be ascending family. We're probably not going to live that out. Um, a second one is strategy. And you talked about that quite a bit. Like if we're going to be sending families, we have to have a strategy for how we're going to do that. We can't be random or haphazard. Uh, how many of you in the room either played sports at one time or had someone in your family that played sports? Anybody in here? Okay, so a lot of us. Uh, how many of you would want to send your child now or one day to be a part of a team that if you met the coach and you ask, what is your game plan for equipping my child and for the team, and they look back at you and said, my game plan is to not have a game plan? We're just going to throw the ball around and talk about endurance and being champions, and we'll figure it out as we go. Well, none of us would want to be on that team or send our kid to be on that team. We want to be a part of a team. Many of you have been coaches or are coaches in the room. You have a strategy. You have a plan of action. Well, we have to have a plan for these things to happen. Timothy didn't become who he was just randomly. There were his mother and grandmother and Paul strategically investing in his life. And the last one is burden. If you're going to be a sending family, you have to have a burden for the lost, a burden for the people around you. And that's got to be modeled in us before it's going to be modeled in the next generation. Three really good pieces there. So now, come to you, Pastor Jeff. If you guys know the Palmer family, been part of our church for years and years, and have modeled this in their home, we've seen the fruit of that. Their oldest daughter being sent out is now in the Czech Republic. They're serving. Your kids, are, they model that. You guys model that. So... Make it even more practical. What does it look like in your home to say, okay, we're sending home, we love the gospel. What does that look like? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of practical steps. I think I told the earlier service that, that for us it was a lot of little steps over a long period of time. So 
So we know that raising children requires a lot of patience, right? It requires really patience we don't have on our own, but it's, it was a lot of little things over time, and although we did not have the FTP because it wasn't in existence when our children were younger, we had a strategy, we had a plan. For example, uh, I decided before my children reached high school that I would take them somewhere kind of on an international mission trip, that it would be good for me as a dad to, to go somewhere, experience another culture, surf for a week and do that, and, and that was a huge investment in them for me. But that started when we were younger, uh, teaching them scripture. Uh, we, we did Awanas here at Tri-Cities for several years. We brought them to Sunday school. And, and it was all these little investments of our time that helped them understand the Bible, understand scripture, understand the story. And then we would go out and we would do those things together. So, so think of it as like, I don't, I don't like crafts. Like if you have little kids, like my kids are little, I hated doing crafts. But, like, think of these, like, little missional crafts you can do, right? We can go serve somebody locally. We can do, you know, we used to do the Salvation Army tree thing. We could, uh, we would go and sing at nursing homes. We would, and eventually we went on mission trips. It's like all those little pieces added up to, to ways our family was going and serving kind of out with the gospel. And, and maybe when your kids are little, I was telling Paul earlier, it's like you may think they're not listening, and they may not be, or they don't get it, they may not, but, like, you just have to be faithful over time. But it, to me, it's, it's activities. And I know the FTP has, like, activities built into it, but that hands-on, like, going, talking about the Scripture, here's what the Bible says, okay, let's go do it. Let's talk about it as a family and, and experience mission together. I think that's a really big deal. And a ton of you guys have done that over the years, and it's a great way to raise your children, I think. Yeah, it's a great statement you made. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a, it's not a tack on to your life. Say, oh, we're going to become a missional family overnight process over time long haul you guys have modeled it thanks for that i, I was also just thinking it, it's a great verse you shared at the end daniel we all know that passage in joshua but man when you you shared that in this context listen to what he says as for me and my house so it starts with me in other words what is true of me that's going to be modeled in my home so i even when you said that, i thought is my, my family ever heard me pray for a lost person my family know I have a list of three people on my, on my prayer card. Has my family ever seen my wife and I have a, a family in, in our neighborhood over dinner just to share the gospel with them? Has my family know that, that we pray over the heart family that's on mission? Do we, has my family ever heard me talk about wrestling through how much to give to give to go over and above instead of doing X? No, we're going to choose to do this. It's little things over time because we want to see the gospel advance. Has our family seen us do that and walk through that with us? So you've seen it back, that either one of you guys, practically, what's it look like in your home? Let's just get real practical beyond the big picture stuff. What does this look like in your home, Paul? It looks chaotic <laughs> and in process. So I know this might surprise you, but we don't spend like from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. like catechizing like our children like all day long and teaching the scripture. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another time. Um, but but it's it's messy and it's it's a fight, but it's a pursuit and it's rhythms that we're trying to create. And so I, I think one of the best things that I can do as a father and you can do as a parent, grandparent in the room is you want to model a lifestyle of worship for your children. And worship is sacrificial. 
So that means I have to lay down when I would rather, you know, go watch TV, but I'm going to engage my kids. I'm going to talk to them about Scripture. I have to prepare. I have to lay down money. Maybe I lay down some of the things that I would like to pursue from an advancement standpoint or things we want to have so we can give more and talk to our kids about instead of getting this thing, instead of going to Disney this year, we're going to give more for the sake of the gospel because that's an eternal kingdom. That's a magic kingdom. We live for the eternal kingdom, not the magic kingdom. Um, or, or <laughs> you know, it'll preach, right? Um, but, but it is. Another way that we worship in front of our kids is by repenting regularly. So when I miss the opportunity and when I get frustrated or I've not been a good witness this week, I, I, I share that. I repent of that. Um, I pray for my kids that they would be a light at their school. We pray for unreached people groups. We pray for the lost in our families. We make a normal conversation. We try to have people in our home regularly who don't know Jesus or who are part of the community of faith and are talking about, you know, who, we, who doesn't know Jesus. The family discipleship plan, having that strategy, a rhythm of every week we're going to equip them around God's Word. And one of the things that's done for me personally is them having a truth and a verse each week, and I'm helping them memorize it. Guess who's also memorizing it? I am. Guess who the Holy Spirit is convicting of his sin as I'm teaching them that sin causes us to put ourselves first? I am. And so when I have a strategy and a rhythm and I'm teaching God's Word, it's shaping me, which helps me be more aware of opportunities to shape my family and have gospel kind of conversations. So it's messy, but I'm trying to be strategic, trying to be repentant, trying to be sacrificial in it. Um, and it starts with me, like you were saying. And I think for anyone who wants to do further study, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7, put those four verses to memory, look at them. They're a great pattern to practice in your home. Yeah. Dan, you want to tackle that first thing? What's it look like in your home? Sure, practice? sure. I, I want to go back to something Jeff said in the first service. This is profound. It, it may be the first time ever it was that. <laughs> that was no, profound, I'm just man. <laughs> I mean, profound. No, I'm teasing Jeff. I'm teasing Jeff. Let me set it up real quick. We wrestle between what we teach, like what's taught and caught, right? We know they have to have a doctrinal understanding of the gospel and who God is, and so we teach them. And for many of us, that's an easy default because we don't actually have to go do it, right? But there's also what is caught. Above both of those things, Jeff mentioned in the first service, it really comes down to what we're obsessed with. And that's a really good description. If you're obsessed with advancing the gospel, it shows yeah. in all kinds of little things that you wouldn't think much of. You don't show up to church 10 minutes late, walk in, not talk to anybody, just sit there as a participant. You're here early. You're finding new people. You're talking to them. You're asking. You're engaging with them. Why? Because that matters. You, you, you don't just miss your vacation or change your plans because your son has a baseball game or a practice. You change your vacation and your plans because you want to go on mission and do a mission trip. I mean, think about it. Why can't you as a family go do that? And again, no one of those things is the thing. That would just be legalistic. But to be obsessed and long for the advancement of the gospel develops a culture in which that's that's tall. And I think one of the ways that Paul said it, and I'm just going to own this again because I want you to hear it. One of the things I do that I think in our home is modeled and really good is acknowledge how often I fail. 
My daughter hears me say, I'm sorry, all the time. My daughter hears me acknowledge, we didn't do that well. We should have done this. Here's how we could have had a gospel conversation while we were at dinner today, and Dad blew it, and we missed it. Even in me missing the opportunities can be used to show this is the longing of my heart. This is what really matters. And so I just want to echo what Paul said and kind of jump into being obsessed. I want to be obsessed with the gospel and its advancement around the world. And in doing so, that means we're going to talk about it, we're going to teach it, we're going to try to model it, and we're going to own together when we're struggling in it. I mean, the reality is if you're here and let's say you're a spouse and you really haven't challenged your spouse in the last year to share the gospel with someone they work with, you're struggling. If you're a parent of a teenager, you've got that believing teenager, and you've sent them to school all this year, and not once have you had a conversation to ask them, who are you sharing the gospel with, and how's that going? You ask them more about their homework than the advancement of the gospel. You're struggling. Own the struggle. But in owning the struggle, you will model something in a worldview that I think, and an obsession that will begin to take over in your family. And that's been really important for us, even in our failures. And I'll jump in there real quick and just say for everyone in the room, no matter where you are in this, because sometimes when we have these conversations, we feel just a lot of guilt. Um, you can start now. You know, the Bible talks about today is the day of salvation. If there is breath in your lungs and the spirit inside of you, today can be the day of change. Reordering priorities, reordering your heart, that can begin now. And so, if, if you're convicted, be convicted, but don't be discouraged. Like, this could be a gift of grace for you and your family at whatever stage of life you're in. Parent, grandparent, not a parent yet. Begin today. Sure, that's helpful. So let's try to tie this together to guard, guard our time. Jeff, take this one. So we're in a, we're in a church, and I'll be, as a dad, I'm thankful to be in a church where I'm going to be challenged this way. I mean, incredibly challenged by this. You're also in a church where I think you're going to be equipped and have opportunities mm -hmm. to come alongside with the family. So this week is an example of that. There's a ton of opportunities this week to come and do things as a family, engaging things as a family to take that next step. Whatever that first step is. It might be tonight at six o'clock, bring your family, come pray together in the outpost with others. That, that's a great step. What do you hope for going into neighbors and nations as one of our elders to say, here's what I hope comes out of it. What do we hope to see over the next week? Yeah, my encouragement to you guys is, I think everybody here has like some takeaways. So. So I encourage you to have two or three things between now and next Sunday that, that when next Monday comes, how does my Monday look different? How do I live and based on maybe the message today, based on the service tonight, based on what I heard at the panel Wednesday, based on the Give to Go banquet? For, for some of you, that may be a real, I need to go talk to my neighbor, literally. It may be, I've got family members at Thanksgiving, I'm going to have to talk to them about where they are spiritually as much as I don't want to. For some of you, it might be, I want to go to... South Asia now with this team, or I want to go to the Middle East, or some of the many opportunities Tri-Cities will have next year, but write down for you what are some next steps you can take. Don't, don't be so much comparing, I'll never be that, I'll never go there, I can't do that. Start with where you are and, and, and sort of build a plan from there. And, and this week is a great week to bring your family. You know, we used to have, I don't know why I thought about this, mission conferences here in the past, and like one year, because my kids always remember this, one of the missionaries was giving children boxes of matches, like out here in the atrium. I'll never forget that. Like, you know, that, not that that's what you want them to remember from that, but they're like, man, this missionary from Mexico gave us literally 
like that's something you just don't do, I think. <laughs> but but anyways, like it was really cool and memorable. But the reason it happened was we were here. Our kids were walking around talking to missionaries, talking about the weird clothes they were wearing, looking at their posters. Just participate, be here, and then talk about an action plan for your family. What what are my next steps? That's good. So I think we're giving out knives this year, aren't we? That'd be awesome. <laughs> so that's very helpful, really challenging. So I hope you hear that, and I'll ask the praise team to come on up. We're gonna kind of sing a song of response, but you've heard these guys be honest. Thank you for your honesty. This is a challenge for all of us. I hope there's a paradigm shift in your head. Am I part of ascending church? Yeah. It's my family. It's my home ascending home. you got some opportunities this week to take steps towards that. So guys, thank you. Uh, our team's going to come on up and lead us. We'll say a quick word of prayer. We're going to respond in song, and then I'll share a couple things, and we'll just uh, dismiss in a minute. So Father, thank you. Uh, God, I pray for my church. I pray for my family. Pray for my wife, pray for my kids, Lord. We long to be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve, we will sin, we will make you know. We love you. Change us for Jesus' sake.